everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. Thank you again for being here. Thank you, everybody, for coming this morning and being part of our Sunday service. Can't stress enough how important it is for you guys to be here. How important it is for you guys to pay attention, to listen, um, whether that's putting distractions away and, and tuning in on, and to what's being taught, what's being sung here. Um, we don't want to take this stuff for granted. And so I, I just want to urge you guys to um, really appreciate and enjoy your time here. I hope that you guys do. I hope that this is an environment you like being at. And hopefully as well, this is a place that you want to invite your friends and bring them. So Again, as we said before, invite your friends to fall retreat. Invite your friends here, uh, the events that we do. Now, this is not just about us, but it's about bringing others um, to be a part of our community and sharing with them the good news that we so dearly know and uh, believe. And so, again, just want to remind you guys of that and why we get together, why we do what we do. Encourage you guys to be bold with your faith. This morning, we're going to continue our series in the book of Acts. Uh, if you have been here with us, we've been studying through the book of Acts written by Luke. It's a continuation off of his gospel of Luke. Um, and this is really talking about gospel multiplication, how the gospel then reached the rest of the world. How do we know that the gospel went from Jerusalem to the rest of the world? Well, because we're sitting at church today, right? So for that fact, we know that what God had said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that they were to be witnesses to go out into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. We know that that mission accomplished itself and that God worked through them, through the Holy Spirit, to do that and continue to do that today. We know that that's the case because we're here this morning and we continue to see how God continues to bring his gospel into remote parts of the world and how more and more people get to hear of the good news of Jesus. Um, this message is something that our faith is hinged upon, right? And we want to continue to make Jesus' name known, share that with the world. And so again, my challenge to you is to continue to put that into practice in your communities, right? In your own Jerusalems, your own cities, your own towns, your schools, and your communities, and church. And then also into the rest of the world, whether that's by sending, praying, going yourselves. I want to challenge you to be part of this mission that God had uh, from this point on, right, from the early church till this point. Again, we see here the history of the early church and how things developed. Last week, we talked about uh, one particular question, and that was, what are you living for? What is it that you're living for? Now, let me ask you this morning, uh, as a quick, um, I guess, interaction here to wake you guys up again. What are some things that people live for? You can just shout it out. Just say, what are some things that people live for? If you're not living for Jesus, what are some things that people live for? Money, yes. People, family. Relationships, to be more exact. Anything else? There's surely, surely there's more. Fame, food, wealth, yeah, material things, cars. Um, your talents, right, for success, for reputation, uh, whatever it is, these 
lords in our lives, these idols, things that we end up living for as opposed to living for God. We learned that last week there's only one thing worth living for, one thing worth dying for, and that is Jesus. And we see that through the testimony of a man that we talked about at great lengths last week. Anybody remember who we talked about? It's one name, and his name is the dad of somebody in this room. Stephen. Good job, Maddie. Thank you. Um, Stephen is somebody that we talked about. Stephen was a martyr. And uh, to be to elaborate on that, right, well, let me explain. A martyr is somebody who dies for their faith, for their belief. He was the first Christian martyr to exist, right? He was the first Christian martyr. And we see through his life um, that he lived for the God and he ended up dying for God. And yet his death is fundamental for this narrative that we talk about in, in the book of Acts because it sparked the gospel to advance, oh, it sparked a growth or an expansion of the gospel. Because of his death, the gospel was forced to go into these different areas like God said it would. And so we see here that this seemingly really catastrophic or tragic incident ended up being something quite beautiful and part of God's plan in the bigger picture, right? This guy who was full of grace, full of power as um, we see in the book of Acts describe him as somebody who had the ability and the desire to do the will of God. Um, we see that opposition rises against him, but he is killed. And yet still, even with all of this tragedy, God works through these events. He becomes the catalyst for the advancement of the gospel. As we go on to read, we read about his life and his death. Um, there are persecutions that happen following this, right? His death was just really the beginning. But the gospel then goes from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, these other areas around, and then eventually to Jerusalem. And through his life, the big thing that I wanted us to take away from and what we can take away from is whatever your story, uh, whatever story you're living for, it is incomplete without Jesus at the center of it. And so the challenge was for us to look at his life, look at the example that he sets, Right, Because he's just following the example of Jesus. If you look at Jesus' life and you look at Stephen's life, he's not the real hero, it's Jesus. He's copying what Jesus did and what he says for us to do to imitate him. Right, We are to be imitators of Jesus. And so we have to then look at Stephen, look at Jesus and say, hey, is that me? Is Jesus the Lord of my life? And then a step further, does my life look like Jesus's? Because if I'm supposed to be like Christ, if I'm supposed to be an imitator of Christ, then what does that mean? My life should imitate his. But think about certain things of your life. Think about your behavior. Think about your attitude. Think about how your life has gone thus far at this point in your life. Since the moment that you turn to God, look back and think, how's my life look like Jesus? Really ask yourself, reflect and ask yourself, is there anything in my life that looks like the guy, the person, the God that I'm reading about in the Bible? Because if we're asking these tough questions, a lot of the times the answer that we'll get is no. Our life looks absolutely nothing like his, even though we're called to be like him. 
Even though we call ourselves Christians, right? Little Jesuses, little Christ. Are we actually imitating him? Are we actually following him, devoting our lives to him? Or is that just a label that we carry around? Not really understand the significance of what that means and what that looks like. Obviously, it's a different time, right? I'm not talking about, yeah, I look like Jesus, right? I decided I'm going to only wear sandals and wear giant um, onesies where I walk around and I walk barefoot everywhere that I go. Um, at home, uh, you know, or I wear, uh, wear something on my head where I've grown out my hair. Um, I go tan outside so I can get really dark skin, right? I can resemble him in terms of appearance. That's not what I'm talking about, right? And there are customs that are different. There are traditions that are different. But we have to be honest and ask these questions. Do we look like Jesus? Do we resemble him at all? And these are often questions, like I said, that we don't ask. But they are questions that we should regularly ask ourselves. Be honest with ourselves. Be fully transparent and ask ourselves, hey, do we look like Jesus? It's a big thing that we can take away from that story and that testimony of Stephen. But something else that happens from that, right, the aftermath of what's going on, leads us to another question. And that's the question I want to talk about today. Because this question, on the other hand, is a question I think we wrestle with a lot. It's questions, better yet, that we think about. And it's not just us, but it's even the outside world. People outside often think about or, or go to these things and use these things maybe to oppress others of the faith, to question others in the faith, to doubt others of the faith. But the reality is, even those of us in the church, those who believe, we still struggle with these questions. We still have doubts. We still are perplexed. Today I want to talk about um, the, the times that we struggle. Talk about the things that we go through. Talk about how things may get dark and, and hard at times. Thankfully, we have the bigger picture here as we look at the book of Acts. You can see the, the, the full picture, right? You have the full scope of the story. But at this time, right, when we're picking up here in, in chapter 8, at the end of chapter 7, we've seen a tragic death, something that's terrible happen. And now these people are afraid, scattering for their lives. And during this time, although we can look back with hindsight and see, oh, God was doing something amazing here, there's no denying that there must have been a feeling that day that God was out of control. That he didn't have a hold on the situation. Something was going wrong. There was chaos. The world was chaotic. And they asked themselves, how could God be in control of this situation? We're going through all these hardships. We're going through these trials. We're going through loss. And yet, God is a good God. Sometimes we have a hard time, even in our day and age today, kind of balancing those two and, and mending those together. Right? How could God be so good if there's this, there's that that's going on in my life and in the lives around me? That's a question that we think about a lot. That's a question that people will use a lot as well. But I do want to encourage us this morning, remind us, right, to remember this, this big idea here, 
as chaotic as things may seem, things are never out of God's control. As chaotic as things may seem, things are never out of God's control. You know, imagine an accident, for example, right, where there's a collision, something happens, and then a few minutes later, the ambulance comes in, right? God is not like a first response team. God is not the person that shows up with a, with a cart that brings people into the ambulance, drives them over to um, a hospital and tries to mend things together, fix things up. He's like, okay, well, what's going on? How do I fix this situation? That is not God. When he sees chaos, unlike us, when we get startled and we get afraid and we, we start to panic and worry about what's going on, he is not startled. God is not surprised by the things that happen in our lives. He is in control over everything. The good, the bad, all the chaos, and even the beautiful things are worked together for the good of those who love him. God is in control of everything. And although we might be perplexed, although we may not understand how he is, we might have questions on why God reigns and he continues to rule over the chaos in our lives. All things are under God's control. Uh, up until this point in chapter 7, where we've read about this growth in the church, but we've only seen so far threats. We've seen Christians be mocked. We've seen people be cast out. And we've seen people be put into jail, right? That's like Peter's second home at this point. Peter keeps getting sent to jail. And yet now... At the end of chapter 7, there's a line that's crossed. Somebody's not just thrown in jail. Somebody is killed. Somebody is killed for following Jesus. And Stephen's death becomes the beginning of this. This is not the only incident that takes place. This continues a common theme, a common trend that we'll continue to read about here this morning. Thankfully, again, we have the results of this. We can see what happens in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas and in the rest of the world afterwards. But I do want to talk about this big idea, right? Because the truth is we, in the middle of situations like the people are in here, the Christians at this time, they might have questions that we have today that are still pressing today. Things don't change, right? Um, in, in that way. We, we still struggle with some things. And so by looking at these chapters, and we're going to look through a few chapters this morning, so buckle up because we're going to go from chapter 8 to chapter 12. We're not going to look at every single verse, but I do want to give you an overview of what's happening to get you to where we can discuss this at greater length. And we can see how God is in control, even when we don't understand. But if you're if you have your Bibles, then you're more than welcome to follow along with me. But I have the verses that I want to read on the screen. We're going to pick up here in chapter 8, in the very beginning. And I want to paint a picture for you of what's happening here. After Stephen is killed. Stephen dies. Um, he is brutally killed. He is stoned. Right? It wasn't nice. In the depiction of his death in Luke or in Acts chapter 7, it, it sounds maybe a little bit more uh, beautiful than, than maybe it might have looked from the outside looking in, but this was not a nice thing, right? There was levels, as I mentioned, degrees of stoning. They've done this in the past where it's a lot cleaner. This was not that. Mob dragged him out of the city, beat him to death with stones. And 
Again, this is something that becomes a common theme. In chapter 8, the first verse, it says that Saul approved of this execution, right? Verse 1, Saul. Saul is a guy that we know God is going to end up using, who made Christians suffer for the gospel, who then ends up suffering for the gospel himself. And we'll read that in the next chapter. But I just want to share with you what happens after he dies. Verse 1 continues. It says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Again, what this means here, scattered, um, it's, it's the Greek word that would be associated with scattering seeds, right? Throwing them around, meaning these people had to disperse. The apostles remained. The core remained, but those thousands of people that we talked about before in the chapters before, they were like, well, we have to go away. We need to run and and find refuge in other places because our lives are at stake here. If that happened to Stephen, what's going to happen to us? And so they ran, they fled. And these are not apostles, right? These are just regular believers without any responsibility, right? They don't have this reputation, They don't have the credibility that these apostles do. And yet, look what happens. And I find this fascinating. It says here in verse 2, Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. And he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Go to verse 4. And now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Again, this is awesome to see because, again, this is an encouragement to us. A lot of the times you think, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to preach the gospel. I, I, can't, I can't go be bold in my faith. The only way I'm going to get the, the gospel message to my friends is if I bring them here. That's awesome. I want you to bring your friends here. I just said I want you to bring your friends here. But for you to think that you don't have the ability to do that is not true because look at what's happening here. People who don't have any training, people who are just recently becoming converts, believers, they're going out into remote areas, places where they are not even accepted or welcomed, and they are going there and sharing God's word faithfully. And the gospel is advancing. God is using them. You, one man in particular here, Philip, went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what, he was, what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him, they saw signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out in a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Now, geographically, again, Samaria is about 30 miles north of Jerusalem which would be a day or two's journey away. Again, there was, uh, if you would say, beef between these different places. But there is now a gospel work that is happening in the city of Samaria. The gospel has now penetrated this area, and they are reaching people with the good news of Jesus. They are professing the name of Christ, and eventually... Jerusalem, right, the people that are in Jerusalem, the apostles that are there, hear word of this. And they are then uh, tasked with or decide to go to, better yet, to Samaria to make sure that the gospel that's being preached there is the same gospel that they have taught in Jerusalem. To verify, to make sure that what they are professing and believing is, in fact, the one and only true gospel. And when they get there, they see that it is. They see that Acts 1, verse 8 
this command and calling to go into these different parts of the world is starting to happen. The gospels now left just Jerusalem, their small, tight-knit area, their group, this chosen people, and now it's starting to reach other people as well. Again, it's like this virus almost that is infectious and is spreading. They eventually see for themselves that the gospel is being preached. And as they head back to Jerusalem, they stop by these different villages in Samaria. And they begin to preach the gospel as well. We see that in verse 25. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages uh, of the Samaritans. So they head back. They start to share the gospel once more. And even more people come to the faith. So we see again, more Gospel multiplication. More and more people are beginning to know who Jesus is. That chapter continues with the Ethiopian eunuch and how Philip brought him to a place where he accepted Jesus, where he was baptized, right? This man who had all of the riches in the world, who was different than Stephen, who wasn't living for Jesus but was living for something else. He had everything you could ask for. In terms of money, he had fame. This was more or less a celebrity at the time in Ethiopia. And this person was seeking out answers that none of those things could provide. Only God's word did. And eventually he comes to that conclusion. Chapter 9, it talks about Paul, right? Who was before Paul, Saul. And he was a persecutor of believers. Before God uses him in a miraculous way for the advancement of the gospel itself. We see that he was actually in agreement with the killing of Stephen. That he accepted it. That he, again, as we read earlier, he approved of it. And on his way to Damascus, where he was going to go persecute more believers, he meets and encounters God. And God speaks to him. And he changes his life. He changes the course of his life. Other believers were skeptical of this, but God alters his life and, and changes him completely. As we continue to read in chapter 10, chapter 10 we see the first Italian Christian. Any Italian people out here to, today? No? I like to think that I have some Italian in me, I, you know, but nonetheless, we see the first Italian Christian here. This person's name was Cornelius. Again, this is now looking at Caesarea. The gospel is reaching this different place. It's about 65 miles away now from Jerusalem in a different direction. It's now crossed into ethnic, um, different ethnic boundaries. So the gospel is continuing to advance. Peter is sent for by Cornelius. He has a vision about uh, Gentiles and addressing this historical view that they were unclean, God makes it very clear that whatever I make is not unclean, it is clean. And he goes and preaches the gospel to these people. He preaches it with them, and we read that in verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on them, and they heard the word. And believers from among them, circumcised, had come with Peter, were amazed because of the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out, even on Gentiles. Now we're seeing how even the people who were Gentiles, not these Jewish people, are coming to the faith, and, and God is working and changing their hearts. The Holy Spirit is falling upon them, and they are now living with the Holy Spirit and dwelling them. The gospel, again, is multiplying. I'm going to skip through uh, that and, and go all the way down to 
Acts chapter 11. We see that God works in this way, works through um, this, um, this man's family, Cornelius. We see chapter 1, verse 8 being played out, dating back all the way to God's covenant with Abraham. And in verse, 11, or in verse 19 of chapter 11, we read this. Um, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on the coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. And these are Greek speakers, right? So that's what it means. Hellenists means people who don't speak um, the Hebrew language. They speak Greek. It's a different culture. They were also now hearing God's word. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and the great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report out of this to the ears of the church of Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful in the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and of faith, and a great many were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people in Antioch, and the disciples were called Christians. We're seeing here how God is moving through this gospel advancement. God is doing miraculous things. God is working through this tragic event, this death that happened, which seemed very bleak in the beginning. Now God is using this to spread the gospel and reach others with the good news of Jesus. Right? These people were forced to leave this area because of the persecution. So this would not have happened if that didn't take place. And again, we have hindsight to see that, but in the moment it's difficult for us to grasp and grab a hold of that. We're seeing here this fruit that's coming from this sad event, this dark time, but yet now in chapter 12 there is a, uh, a, a break and a pause on that, right? Almost like a, another... Another bump in the road. In Acts chapter 12, we see another person be martyred. It's James this time who was killed. And James is a disciple of Jesus, an original disciple of Jesus. It says that he was killed, right? King Herod laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, meaning this man was beheaded for believing what he believed. And when he saw it, please the Jews. Again, the people that didn't like Christians, that were opposed to Christianity, this pleased them. So as king, you're seeing that if I behead, if I kill and persecute these Christians, if this is going to win me favor, what do you think this king is going to do? He's going to do more of that. He's going to want to please these people, earn their favor. And so as you could presume, this continues to become more and more of a trend. Peter is also arrested. And again, we see these unprecedented events take place. Right As the church is developing, now all of a sudden Stephen is killed. And then as the gospel advances, now a disciple of Jesus is killed. And he was the first of many. All of them, by the way, were killed and were martyred, but one. And all died pretty gruesome deaths for the most part. 
up until chapter 12, right, there was this streak of success. People were coming to know Jesus. Everybody obviously had to scatter because of this death, but things were looking good for the church in terms of growth and expansion. And yet again, this, this sad event takes place. Despite Saul coming to Jesus, Cornelius, right, these Gentiles being taught in Antioch, hearing the word, these Greek people coming to the faith, we now are faced with this ugly opposition. Another difficult situation for us to grab a hold of and, and put our heads around, wrap our minds around. And we look at the goodness of God and we look at how God is faithful to us. And sometimes that takes a hit and takes uh, an impact because we see the circumstances that are in our lives and we can't, again, put those two things together. God is so good, right? Then why have I experienced this? If God is so good, then why have I lost another faithful member of the church? Why have I lost a loved one? Why is there death? Why do children die? Why is there disease? Right, there's a lot of different questions, a lot of ways you can word that, but ultimately it comes down to sadness, pain, suffering, destruction, chaos, and a good God, and how those two things can coexist. It's hard for us to answer that. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that, to give an adequate response to somebody who might answer that, but also to navigate through that and wrestle through that ourselves. It's difficult. But if we're being honest, if I could tell you the truth this morning, no matter how much you study God's word, no matter how many sermons you listen to, no matter how many books you read, no matter how much pain and suffering you experience and how many highs you experience as well. No matter what happens in your life, the truth is we will never fully know. And that's maybe not a satisfying answer. Let me, let me, let me try to explain that to you this morning. Why can those things coexist? Why is that true? Why can those things be true with death and sickness and chaos and God still be good? Well, let me ask you this. Does anybody here have any siblings? Anybody here have siblings? Raise your hand if you have a sibling under the age of maybe six or seven. Right, if you don't now, you might, you might have had one in the past. And so you know what I'm talking about when I say these kids, they think very different than us, right? Right, kids at that age, they probably think they can live off Fruit Loops for the rest of their lives and they'll be healthy and they'll grow up to look like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. But that's not true. If I were to tell you that you think like your five-year-old brother or sister, you would probably be offended. Because there is truth in the matter that you guys think differently. You have experienced things. You know a whole lot more than this little child does. Now, Think about the difference between that little child and your parents. Even greater, right? There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a massive gap there. Now think about this. Mind this gap. Think of the, the difference. Imagine how far apart you are, I am, or anybody else for that matter, 
are in our own understanding and our knowledge compared to God. Try, try to think of the, the separation or the gap there. Right, if there's already a massive gap between a little baby and a parent, think of how much greater it is between any human being and an infinite God. A God who created everything, right? We are finite. We are limited in every single way. God is not. He is boundless. And so how could we even think that we could think like God or try to understand how he thinks or 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 wrap our minds fully around it, comprehend it, and, and explain why things happen. We can't to the detail because he is so much greater than you and I, and he is above all of the chaos while we live in it. We can't. There's a quote from Matt Chandler that I love, and he says this, I better not be able to understand how he is governing. Or he is way too small of a God for me to worship. If you think you can understand what your God thinks like, then he's not worth following. God is much bigger than you and I. More than we could ever imagine. So because of the difference there, we may never be able to fully comprehend why things happen in our lives. But can I tell you that you can trust him? And how I know you can trust him? The reason being the cross. The cross. When we look at the cross, we see that God displays his love for us through the sacrificial death of his son. You think if God didn't have your best interest in mind, Jesus would have come to die for your sin? If God is not a good God, if he didn't care about you, that he would send his one and only son to pay for the penalty of all of our sins? bring that upon himself, separate himself from the Father? If he didn't care, if that was the case, then he wouldn't have come, but he did. Jesus did come. And yet when we go through difficult times and we, when we go through struggles, all we can see is today. We can't see tomorrow. And our culture, it, it's ingrained that in us to force us to live for today. That's so what we want, instant gratification, right? To have things now, not delay it. Take fast food, for example. Nobody, nobody eats fast food because it's phenomenal, because it tastes world-class. You eat it because it's easy to access, because it's convenient, and maybe, and the other, I guess, reason, because I understand this one as well, is you're on a tight budget, and that one I respect. But other than that, you're really going there because of convenience, right? Because you don't want to sit down and cook, right? As you're eating a, a beefy five-layer five layer burrito, you're not thinking about the repercussion that's going to have on your stomach in a few hours, but you're thinking about, oh, well, thankfully this is convenient, this is good, this is tasty, but you're not thinking about what's going to come because we all know what's going to come after you eat Taco Bell later on at night. Um, we all, we've all been there, but again, all of our minds are trained to be in, in, in enamored by this idea of instant gratification, comfort, pleasure, now. Receive that now. Right? We're enslaved to this idea, and yet we always are falling prone to it. We always come back to it. It doesn't bring us any good, but we keep going to it. 
And yet as Christians, there's a difference. As Christians, as Romans 8.28 says, we should be living not for today, but for tomorrow. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that in all things, God works all for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. There will come a day where you will not remember the sorrows that you feel today. But for now, the reality is we will have trouble. There is no avoiding that. We are going to go through difficulties. As we see here, right? There, are, there is death persecution that is happening, and yet God can and will use these pressing circumstances to guide us to his will. Sometimes you have to be shaken and, and, and taken out of your comfort zone for it. And yet God is still faithful during those times to sustain you. Regardless of the circumstance, his grace will show up when you need it. Because he loves you. Because the cross proves that he does. You know, he's not the author of evil. He's not the one that's causing all this chaos and creating it. The death of James, the death of Stephen, the, the constant persecution that Peter faces, right? This is a real guy, a guy with a real family. He keeps getting put into prison. You can't think this is a fun life. This is not the best life for Peter. This is not something that he wants or desires. He's actually martyred later on, a pretty gruesome death as a matter of fact. He's crucified, but not just crucified. He's crucified upside down. These guys who are going through these tough times and going through all the struggle and pain, and yet they follow Jesus wholeheartedly because they know that he is a good God. Evil does not stop the mission of God here in this story of Acts. Despite the death that we'll see, the persecution that we see, God's mission continues to advance. And the same truth for that being the case is the same thing that Joseph highlights and alludes to when uh, he is confronted with his brothers who persecuted him, who abandoned him, who betrayed him. In Genesis 50, 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many should be kept alive as they are today. God is at work even when we can't see it, understand it. He is in control over all the chaos that's happening in our lives and around our lives. We can't fully understand why or how he is at work or why this is happening or what the reason for it happening is, but you can't trust him because of the cross. Because he is a good God who loves you and cares for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you again for the, uh, the testimony of many faithful men and women here in the book of Acts and how we see that despite persecution, Lord, that you worked good things, Lord, that you expanded the gospel, that more and more people came to know you despite the evil, despite the bad things that happened. I pray that in our lives, Lord, we would be mindful of these truths. Remember how even in dark periods of our lives and struggles and pain and suffering that is unavoidable, you work things for good. Or we can't undersee it and see it sometimes. But I pray that we would rem remember and be reminded that you are in control, one, and that you do love us. And that is shown very clearly on the cross. We pray these things in your holy and precious name.